The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hey, good mid-morning, Refuge Church. The Path Mature Discipleship we decided to tackle, this is not a momentary thing for our church. This is something that for the remainder of uh, our life as a church, be that five years, ten years, twenty years, till kingdom come, this is one thing that we want to do well. We want to know how to make disciples well. We want to know how to be disciples well. After Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose from the dead, he, he wrapped up his ministry on earth with giving a commission to the 11 remaining disciples. And he said that all power and all authority have been given to him. And he decided to do one thing with that power. He says, I'm going to invest it in you to go make disciples of all nations. What would you do if you had all power and all authority? Jesus decided to invest in this group of 11 people to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching those disciples to obey all the words of Jesus. And Jesus wrapped it by saying, and surely I will be with you in that commission to the very end. I'm going to be with you as you do that. So we, as a church, decided that we want to do this one thing well. We want to make disciples well. And so we made a clear path of what we mean by that. This isn't, this isn't foolproof. This isn't divinely inspired. But this is our plan and this is our commitment to figure out how to, one, invite people to follow Jesus. And so that was the first step. Follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How we encourage one another, people to follow, one another to follow Jesus. And if there's things in the way of us following Jesus, we're going to be able to identify those things and, and cast them off, move past them, and so we can be committed to following him. The second thing is growing in our faith. And that's why we have the word mature in the path of a mature discipleship. Is because becoming a disciple of Jesus isn't just a one-time event that you look back on and you say, hey, wasn't that great when I, I you know, raised my hand at camp and... That was your birth. <laughs> that was you going, like, Jesus, I'm yours. And then from that moment, you get to grow up in your faith. And so what does it look like to personally grow? And this, the third week, is gathering together. Now, now gathering is a fact of being a disciple. Being with other people is a fact of being a disciple because... God didn't just save you from something, but he saved you into something. When you committed to follow Jesus, you were adopted into a family. You were adopted into a family. Possibly not the family of your choosing, but it was the family of God's choosing. And in that, there is beauty There's challenges, there's brokenness, there's chaos, there's amazement. And so what we want to talk about today is how do we be a church? How do we be a people gathered that is healthy and is centered around Jesus? So I'm going to start by just sharing a story of a 
uh, that a professor of mine in seminary shared with me. She does a lot of work in reconciliation around the world. She's met Nelson Mandela and, and worked uh, with him in South Africa. She uh, was called down to Ferguson a couple of years ago when the city was in flames and they were doing rioting. They literally, they called her down and said, can you be a part of this reconciliation work? So she has, <clears throat> she has seen the world and been a part of the healing of it. And so she's, it's very enjoyable being in class with her. She brings a lot of experience. And she shared a story about creating a summer program. I think this was the only year she did it, and you'll find out why. A summer program where she invited college students from around the nation to live in Chicago with her for three months and to, um, to find out what it meant to reconcile with one another. So it's a very diverse group. And then uh, to help then recon- be reconcilers wherever they went. And so they all came, and she said when they arrived, they were all really nice, they were almost too nice, and it made her uncomfortable. The word she used was, it was, it was syrupy sweet. They were like, where do you come from? Like, do you have any allergies? Like, like is this okay if I say it this way? You know, and they were just like, like so, so embracing. And she's like, this, but it just, it doesn't feel real yet. And of course, they all came to be reconcilers. So at some point, they had each said, I want to I be the person that helps break down barriers. But she knew that there are some barriers that are way more invisible than we know how to get to by just that surface level conversation. And so she went back home that first night, and she thought of this idea. Well, she came back the next day, and she put sheets of, of newspaper on the wall all around the living room of this home, and she, she wrote above them different um, characteristics, different people, like white girl, black girl, prep, right? And, and just went around, and then she said, okay, I want you to go around and just write the first thing that comes to mind. And so the group went around, and they all wrote what first came to mind. And then after that, she said, okay, now I just want you guys to go around and read what's on the pieces of paper. And... And so they did, and it was about 30 seconds in until someone goes, You what? You think what about me? And, and it exploded, and she said literally she lost half her people that first week. They, they weren't ready to be honest with one another. Right? So it started this, this beautiful, we're going to you know, just gather and be reconcilers. And yet sometimes the hurt is far deeper. And so she shared with us in this lesson something that she learned from a guy named Scott Peck, um, four stages of community building. And, and this is going to be helpful for us. If you have ever led a community group, you're going to be in, you're going to relate with this. Uh, if you ever lead groups, this is really helpful. And I want to share this kind of as, as a framework, and then we're going to get into Colossians. And so the fourth stage of community building is this. The first, it starts with a pseudo-community. What's a pseudo-community? That means you all share a language, you share ideas, and you're going to share the best of yourself, right? In a pseudo-community, it it may appear to function smoothly, but individuality, intimacy, and honesty is often not present. Conflict is avoided, so if, uh, if there's a disagreement, you just pretend like it's not there. Uh, one way to see this is um, sometimes people get married and they're still a pseudo-community. They're still a pseudo-relationship. 
And what that sounds like is, oh, we never fight. We've just, there's nothing we disagree about. And then they get married. And then stage two of community building is chaos. That's literally what it's called. Where it's the stage of differences surfacing and it's the stage of uncreative and unconstructive fighting and struggling. (laughs) You're just talking over one another. You can't hear one another. You're both trying to finally represent how you really feel, but the other person is just not hearing it. Chaos. Some people never make it past chaos. Some relationships never make it past chaos. I just, I thought I knew this person, and I really don't know this person now. How do you move past that? Well, stage three is emptying. Emptying means what? Well, it means that finally you're able to share your real self, not your ideal self. You're not having to always have all the answers or always be right or say the last word and you're finally willing to listen. That's what emptying looks like. It's where you share your brokenness, your defeats, your failures, your fears, and you don't have to look like you have it all together. That's emptiness. I don't have it all together. And that's the transition that will help you into stage four, which is true community. True community is a place where you're not just aware of who you are, but you're aware of what you are becoming together. You don't have it all together, but you're going there and you're now going there together, knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what I want to ask us as we jump into Colossians is, uh, what are we and where are we as a church or as your community group or the relationships you're in? Maybe you can even think, as we talk about this, of your marriage or a relationship if you're in one. Are you still at pseudo-community or are you moving through chaos or maybe a little bit of emptiness to move to true community? Well, I want to give us tools now, biblical tools to help process this. And we are going to dive into Colossians chapter 3. And as we do that, I want to give you a context for it. And that is <clears throat> two, two ways of viewing relationships. One is, and if you have your notes, this is the first fill in the blank. Um, two relationships. One is a horizontal relationship and one is a vertical relationship. The vertical relationship represents your relationship with God. You can see a line and there's a line that is, points up and points down. And that's this vertical relationship that you're going to see manifested here in these verses we're going to read, but there's also the horizontal relationship, which is the relationship that you have with one another. And what I want to show you through this is that that you need to have your vertical orientation so you can have your horizontal action, right? So you can act out relationship with one another. You need to know where you stand in your relationship with God. Verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid also you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're going to tackle five parts of vertical orientation, our, our relationship with God, to create the, the foundation, the framework for how then we act out our life as a community together. <clears throat> and we're going to start right here in these verses to see that the first part of vertical orientation that we need is that Christ is everything. Christ is everything. Where we see that here is in verse four when it says, when Christ who is your life, but I want to show you how we get there. It says, so then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in God. So when you come to be a follower of Jesus, which we've talked about, when you come to follow him, your whole position changes. You're no longer alone, you're a part of the family of God. And as a part of the family of God, it says you literally, your position, your, who you are is now hidden in Christ. This was a huge hope to me a couple years ago when I was feeling like, where am I? And, and I was like struggling with my own doubts and, and things in my life. And I realized that all of that, I was working within Christ. So that means as, as a follower of Jesus, it means like it, I'm not perfect. I haven't figured all these things out, but I'm hidden in him. And so I'm moving this way and that way, but I'm still surrounded by Jesus because Christ is now my everything. Notice, like, this does not mean, I think how we kind of read it oftentimes is Christ is now a big part of your life. He's not a big part of your life. He is your life. And can be hard to think through that because in our life, uh, in our day-to-day lives, we see a lot of supplementing, right? If you <laughs> fill up gas at the gas station, it will say 10% ethanol, right? We sell supplements, right? So we can have supplemental things that kind of fill in for our lack in other ways, right? You go to a, a coffee shop, 
which are awesome. And you're going you're to get like, like, don't worry, you don't need milk. You can have five other varieties of milk. There's, there's always like, there's just so much variety that supplements everything in our life. And those are funny things. But think of other ways we supplement. Think of the incredible pornography industry, right? You aren't satisfied in your marriage. Well, go pay to look at these images or just look at them for free, right? Because we're, we're always saying this and then there's also these other parts that we're just going to be okay with having. Right? When Christ who is your life, what does it look like for Christ to be everything? Well, what it means literally is this, that there is nothing in your life that is not infused by Christ. The first, the first word I used was influenced by Christ, but I thought that's not even hidden in Christ enough. It's, it's that everything in my life, if I can't see that it's been infused or inf- influenced, filled by Jesus in some way, I'm not living this out. There was a a story of a man who came to Jesus. We know him as the rich young man. And he came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, first it says Jesus looks at him with eyes full of love and he says, well, first go sell everything you have. Everything, get that word, everything. And then come follow me. And the man wasn't ready for that. And the reason why the man wasn't ready for that is because he wanted Jesus to be another part of what he was doing. Maybe another good work he was participating in. In Matthew 10, 39, it says, unless you lose yourself for Jesus' sake, you will never find it. Unless you empty yourself of all things to find Jesus because he's not going to participate in this part, part. And so what that means for us as a church, practically speaking, is that everything we do centers on Jesus. That means if, if you're right now serving in the church in some way, you set up chairs for home team, or you serve by loving the kids, Um, if you do that to keep the Refuge Church going, that's not right. What's right is the motivation of being centered on Jesus. I'm setting up these chairs because I want people to come meet Jesus. I'm not here every week leading music or preaching to keep the Refuge Church going. I'm here. Because I want Jesus to be my everything and I want to speak words that help you see Jesus and make him your everything also. If the Refuge Church isn't here in 10 years, I hope the legacy of it is that we were more Christ-centered. Because this, is, this thing we're doing isn't eternal. Jesus is eternal. And we're participating in this thing called the kingdom of God. And the Refuge Church is a part of the kingdom of God. We're just one little expression of it. So, so the best we can do, the, the motivation I hope you wake up with on Sunday mornings, like, I'm going to go be together with other people, is that because you anticipate meeting Jesus. And, and if, if you're serving and you're tired, let's talk about Jesus. Not better ways to do your job. 
That's what it means for Christ to be everything. The second thing is this, that we are called as equals. And we see that here in verse 11, where it says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. The way that the gathering of the people of God is so different than every other gathering is that there should be no competition and no elitism because you were called. And you weren't called because of any of your own merits. You were, be called, you were called because of the goodness and graciousness of God. And what that means for us is that if it was not what we did to come into the kingdom of God, it also means it's not what we do that keeps God pleased with us and keeps us in the kingdom of God. And, and that's crazy. That just seems crazy. It seems so counterintuitive, right? It's also, it almost sounds like something like, I, I kind of make, this makes me feel uncomfortable. But like, I, like, listen to Ephesians where it says, it's by grace you have been saved. This isn't of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that nobody can boast. So we are called. And if it isn't anything you've done, that means you're called as equals and that as you come into the kingdom, we are equals, which means that I have no closer access to God than you do. If you are a child of God, you have just as much access to, any, to God as any pastor you've ever heard, any elder you've heard, any leader of any ministry. You are a nation of priests. <laughs> That's amazing. And so <laughs> what it says here is he says, as we go on from here, uh, okay, I'm jumping ahead because I'm so excited to get to the next point, but I can't do that yet. Okay, so <laughs> what this means for us is this, that there's no, there's no privilege or place of honor of one above somebody else because we all are hidden in Christ. And the way this impacts us is that means we treat all people with equality, not picking favorites. That means whether you are poor or rich, whether you grow up hating Jesus and then you came to faith, or, or what, no matter where you came from, if, if you have been called and you're a part of the family of God, we are equals. I hope that's good news because some of you guys probably feel like, oh, that person's always going to be better than me. That's not true because that person, me, I needed just as much love and grace from God as you did. So how does that, how does that put us all on the same level? And so when you look around, you're like, man, these people are just like me. Like They need Christ to be everything. How does that influence the way we, we talk to one another, the way we treat one another? Should have a big impact because of this vertical orientation Christ is everything, and we've all been called to him to first establish this relationship before we ever think about this relationship. So the third thing is this, that you have been chosen by God, and we see that in verse 12. You are a chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Chosen people. You know, the idea of being chosen, uh, if you ever wanted to play pickup basketball in elementary school. I, I, shared, I shared a story last gathering about being homeschooled and 
I think it was just too painful to reshare. <laughs> no, I'm joking. So we, uh, every year we had these uh, SAT tests as a homeschooler. Every year, okay? <laughs> That's not going to give you issues. Every year, at the end of the year, we had to go through the SAT test. And so what this would look like is some 200 homeschoolers converge <laughs> upon a central location and just play role-playing games for hours. I'm just joking. Um, and, and so we, get, and we, we, we do normal things too, like play basketball, okay? And there's that same thing that happens where I remember we'd all go to the gym and then they'd start doing like, okay, whoever makes the first two shots are captains. And then they'd pick teams, you know, and here I am like glasses as big as my face, bowl cut, you know? And I'm just thinking like, <laughs> will, will I be picked? The incredible thing as we come to God and we find ourselves as a, as a chosen people is that when God does the choosing, I want you to see how this is brought together with being called as equal. When God does the choosing of us, what that means is that you don't get to choose your church. You don't get to choose your church. So we're in this culture of church shopping, like I'm just going to shop around. So no matter where you go, these people are still your church. Right? And that means you need to speak highly of them. You mean, it means you need to love them because they're your equals. No, no matter if you, like, you're worshiping in the back and you see the guy up front picking his nose. Like whatever that is, you are called by God and you didn't choose the people around you. What you get to do is you get to participate in it. And, and the choosing of God makes you, it says here, a holy and dearly loved people set apart. And what we know about God's choosing and the incredible humor of it, you know, we see the disciples Jesus chose, people vastly unqualified for the position they were going to be called to be a part in. We see him choose Israel, who is the, the weakest, the most insignificant nation. People probably laughed at them when they called themselves a nation. And here, this is who God is, is choosing for himself, to be set apart and to be holy and then also to be dearly loved. Dearly loved. What does that look like for you, chosen by God, to be dearly loved in this relationship? Remember, we're still talking vertical relation or yeah, vertical relationship here. For you to be dearly loved means that that if you've been chosen and called, and you are part of the family of God, that God looks at you with approval. That there isn't this, this nervous edge of when will God look at me and tell me he doesn't want me anymore. No, you are handpicked. That's what this means. Handpicked and dearly loved. The fourth thing is this, clothed in virtue Here we see, finishing that thought in verse 12, it says, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Before we put on these clothes, we learned earlier in verse 9 that we first must take something off and so we can put on this clothing. In verse 9 it says, don't lie to each other, don't live in pseudo-community. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. So, I think the imagery is really, really helpful here because when we find ourselves hidden in Christ, I think sometimes we think that we just will naturally become more awesome. You know, like like I'm just along, it's, it's like you've plopped your inner tube in the river of Jesus and you're just moving towards heaven. You're like, this is great. You know, like that's, that's not the way it works. He literally, he's giving you a paddle in a lake and he's like, no, like you, <laughs> okay, imagery only goes so far. What he's invited you into is to find yourself called, chosen, and then he invites you into participation because when you, when you become a part of the family of God, you'll discover first, you will, you're not going to be discovering like, man, I, was, I had all these awesome qualities that I didn't even realize. I'm just unearthing all this beauty. Like, like what, what, what it's going to look like is you're going to be like, wow, you know, that word still comes out easily. You know, when this person says these things, I still want to punch them in the throat. You know, like whatever it is, like these are the things that are going to be coming and you're going to have to start taking them off. Therefore, since you have put off your old self, put on the new self. And and so it's showing you, okay, do you not see compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness? Do you not see those just coming out of you naturally as if, wow. God is saying, okay, you're now you're hidden in me in this vertical orientation and you're going to be seeing Jesus and you're going to be saying, Jesus, I want to be like you and I see this part of me is not like you. Help me take that off. It might actually be painful to take it off because that might be what protects you from other people. Maybe you've always been that person who's like really, really tough. Your exterior is just one that lets people know where you stand, you know? And God might say, okay, I don't see tenderness and compassion in that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to take that off. Guys, this is, this is um, I think, one of the harder things for us to do and the reason is the meaning here is we must change. We must change into something new to live in harmony with one another. And this flies in the face of you just have to accept me as I am. The impact is this, and, and I hope this will help explain it. Our authentic self as we understand this, our authentic self becomes an act of service to one another. Not demanding, not demanding that they just get me. Our authentic self, when we put on Christ, our authentic self becomes an act of service to one another, not just deepening, 
not just a deepening glorification of what I can be all by myself. Not a deepening glorification of what I can be all by myself. So there is something you have been all by yourself. And if you just, if you just put that up when you come to Jesus and you're like, fine, take me as I am. You know, everybody just, this is me. You're, you're not learning from Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant becoming made in human likeness and so he'd be put to death even death on the cross. <laughs> so if Jesus can do that but you become a Christian and you're like just take me as I am like that means you're not being conformed to the image of Christ who is saying, no, I, I want to be something that expresses Jesus. And I see things in myself that's not, so I, I want to change. I'm not just going to demand that other people just get me. And that will maybe involve some mourning, some brokenness, some meekness in your life to get to that point of saying, I, I do, I want my expression to be loved, loved to other people because I have been loved. And that's, this, the fifth point is this, united in charity. And what I mean by this is the word charity is the word oftentimes that's translated for agape. And this is important because we're still talking about the vertical relationship. When we hear in verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The word is not phileo there, which you might think if it was this horizontal, phileo is like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. The love that binds these all together is agape, which means this unique love that God has given to us. And so the love that binds it all together is not a love where you're trying to figure out, okay, I'm bringing this, but then what are you going to bring to the table? See, the vertical relationship, when we know we are loved by God, it means we can enter into a community going, who am I going to love? How am I going to love? We don't come needy for other people to fill in our need because Christ isn't sufficient. No, Christ is everything. And so when I enter into a community, I'm not waiting for someone else to do something else for me so then finally I'm whole. You know, the community of Christ is one that we've, we've come to know him and then we share him with one another. Does that make sense? It's not waiting for someone to fill in my lack. So when we, when we move from this vertical orientation, how, how does this move to horizontal action? What does that look like as we... We find ourselves hidden in Christ, and how do we live that out? Well, the, the first thing is this, personal peace. In Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Um, Malia, who said after I shared the first gathering that I could share her name, Malia works um, with Kitsap Mental Health and, and she works with some real challenging cases. She actually has a crisis line where all hours of the night she can get calls. And so sometimes she even comes to church and she's like, hey, I'm welcoming today, but if I get a call. <laughs> like, so she's kind of always on. 
And something that she told me from her work <coughs> that I've taken to the bank and I use often, she told me that she said, Daniel, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. So oftentimes, what happens is when we expect community to be what heals us, we're just coming in with guns blazing, going, maybe one of these people will be able to figure it out for me. (laughs) Hurt people hurt people. The mission of the Refuge Church is this. We have it up here. You can find online. Is this Christ healing community. Which means this. We come to Christ individually. We are called to him. And and he starts healing us, his power. And, and we, experiencing peace, then start forming community. That does not mean that we don't participate in the healing of one another. There's going to be those discoveries along the way. But it means that I can't heal you. And your expectation also of me isn't that, like, that I'm going to be the one who fixes you. What we can do is point people towards that vertical orientation. You're going to come to me. I'm going to say, look with me to Jesus. Have you ever been in a relationship where um, friendship, whatever, where, um, where all of a sudden you realize you've been trying to fix a person and you thought you could do it and then it just keeps going and going and you realize that you like, that happened again. Why did I take that on myself again? <laughs> you know, and sometimes we do that over and over and over again. Instead of realizing, I was, how did I find peace? Well, I, I found peace because <laughs> I found Jesus. And for a while, maybe I started offering myself as this person's peace. And I can never, ever be that. In Philippians 4, 7, 7 it says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.14 says, He himself is our peace. So we can't even come to community and think, <laughs> you know, this happens sometimes. We're like, you know, if these things change, I think this will be a great community. Right? It's, this is the church God chose. And so for us, it's really saying, am, am I coming in as a person of peace to be a peacemaker here? Not waiting for someone else to do something else so we would find peace. So our vertical action starts by us finding peace in Jesus and then entering that community. Who can I love? How can I serve? And the second part of horizontal action is this interpersonal speech. And we see that here. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly with all wisdom. Sorry, let the, Christ, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. <clears throat> What does this look like? What this looks like, the word of God dwelling among you richly. It means that you are being called to be a disciple maker. Teaching and admonishing. That means the teaching of a church cannot simply come from the front. 
The teaching of the church, I would even say, can't primarily come from the front. Like this is going to be a huge part of it. This is going to be a uniting factor. Hopefully you guys go. We even give community questions at the bottom of the notes that you can talk this out with other people to help start prompting some of that conversation. We have community groups, but it even needs to go beyond community group. Is the word of God dwelling in you richly? And then I want you to ask this question. When was the last time that you talked about Jesus? Casually. When was the last time you were like, hey, I, I was reading this the other day and it was just amazing. And, and when you did that, how natural was it and how comfortable was it? Because you're probably going to have to kind of like work at this. Because this is typically what it looks like. Say you're hanging out with buddies, you're bowling, whatever you do on the weekends. And, and you start, <laughs> I haven't bowled in such a long time. <laughs> you know, you're doing something and, and you're like, Man, I was just thinking about the word of God dwelling richly in me. What do you guys think that means? And I'll tell you what's going to happen. You guys were probably like, oh, yeah, you know. And then all of a sudden, you said that, and everyone's like, I see where we're going with this. Hmm. You know, and it's, it like isn't natural. Right? You start talking about Jesus, and people are like, You know, it's like you've gone somewhere that's crazy serious. And, and that's not what it looks like here for the word of God to dwell among you richly because the expression that it gives is sing-songy. It's, it's like Beauty and the Beast. You know? <laughs> it's, it's a sing to one another. Your teaching sometimes will come out like this. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Some of you guys, when when you think about the Word of God and it is dwelling in you richly, it is like a rock band. And you don't know how to get... Some of you, it's like an orchestra. Some of you, it's like hip-hop. I don't know, right? Spirit moves in mysterious ways, okay? Let that out. Okay, what it is saying here is that, is that when you start tapping in to the Spirit of God that is in you as you are hidden in Christ, there is music. And it might not, it might not be like music like we hear up here. It will be something that is melodious and you share it, it might not sound like anything else. But it will be the word of Jesus. He's already given us his words. That's why, remember, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them the words of Jesus, right? All the things Jesus commanded. So it's not like you coming up with his own like freestyle. It's like, you know, writing a new book of the Bible. No, like, that's not going to be it. You're going to be taking the words of Jesus, and they're going to be filling you, and as you start sharing them with one another, it will be instrumental. And, and I want to challenge you guys, start, let that start coming out, because we aren't really gathering as a people, is what it's, I'm, I believe this is what it's saying here. We aren't really gathering as a people. We aren't really fellowshipping together if that is always being silenced 
Are you silencing the Spirit of God? It says in, in, in Thessalonians, don't quench the Spirit's fire. Are you quenching the Spirit's fire? And, I, and let me say, you are, I am, if we never talk about Jesus. You will feel in your faith mute. Do you feel mute? And, and the answer is yes, if you imagine a scenario where you're talking even with other believers and you say the name of Jesus and you think it's going to go like this. Uh, yeah, let me, let me think of the right answer so I can engage with you, right? No, like, are you guys with me? Let it come out of you. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you're hidden in Christ and the spirit of God. When Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me, so go make disciples. The spirit of God is in you, wanting to go through you. Change the world. Do you bring up conversations about God? Does his message come out of you? Do you feel alone or do you feel known in your faith? Do you see how all that ties together? Some of us feel so alone and we're still expecting someone else to do something else for us. If someone else did something else for me, I would not feel alone anymore. That's not true. Because it starts with a vertical orientation. Who I am in Christ. I'm hidden in him. I'm chosen. I'm called. I've been loved. I'm in a place of peace. I can act. I can speak. I can make disciples. Do you feel alone or known? Pray with me. God, teach us some melodious song. Each of us individually. I know that you're going to be teaching new songs to this church uh, as we start speaking with one another. And maybe it's a word from today's sermon or, or something that someone read in their Bible this week or just a sweet thought that you give that is for the healing of someone else and, and for showing someone else how amazing you are. God, un, unleash our words to speak to one another. Unstop our hearts. Make them beat again in a way that so honors you. As inspiring and as exciting this is, we can't do this by ourselves. We need you. I pray that you will you will sing over us. We will find ourselves just harmonizing with you. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.